When Maddie Browning moved into her home 32 years ago, her life was pretty much a normal one. Five years ago, that changed. When a chemical spill at nearby Union Camp sent noxious gases into the air and Maddie's neighborhood was evacuated. Since then, whenever strong chemical odor seeps into her home, Maddie Browning has to wear a mask. It makes my life miserable. And the damage that was done uh, through this uh, pollution has caused my uh, condition to worsen. He says Jacksonville's odors burn his lungs and can set off an attack. You can feel it going down in your lungs and it's just cutting to see my ass is like. Whether or not our air in Jacksonville really is harming us is a question that's often been set aside. Despite headlines that Jacksonville has one of the highest lung cancer rates and the highest acid air concentration in the nation. And while other cities have gained reputations for their trolley cars or famous beer, Jacksonville has come to be known as the city that stinks. Welcome back to Why Are We Like This, the podcast that treats Florida like the active crime scene it is. I'm your host, David Quinones. I'm joined by my co-host, Gerald Doherty. Hi, Gerald. Hello, how are you? Doing good, man. Um, how are you holding up up there? Um, better than many down there. Um, so I, I guess we should, you know, express, uh, you know, sympathy and solidarity with anyone who's, you know, currently being affected by uh, the storm, the flooding, if anyone has been affected. Um, if you're listening to this, you know, um, we, we hope that you're doing okay. Yeah, and sadly, Tomas is earning a bit of, uh, is enjoying a bit of well-earned PTO this week. So we wish him fun on his adventures. But we have our own adventures that Gerald has been has alluded to, uh, going on down here in the Sunshine State. As we record this, we're getting first looks uh, of the devastation um, from Hurricane Idalia throughout the northern center of the state's Big Bend and the path that it kind of cut through there. I mean, you hate to say like fortunately, but I mean, honestly, fortunately, it was probably one of the least populated routes that a hurricane like that could have taken. So, I mean, count your blessings where you can get them, I suppose. Um, There are those of us who would say that we've brought this on ourselves, that we are reaping what we have sowed through unchecked consumption of fossil fuels, expelling carbon into the atmosphere, changing our climate in perilous, sometimes predictable, sometimes unpredictable ways. And it's kind of hard to blame 22 million Floridians for the cumulative effects of 150 years of global industrialization. But as a state that has consistently put corporate interests ahead of environmental concerns, we're far from blameless. And it comes uh, to when it comes to our rapidly degenerating environment, that degeneration comes in a lot of different forms. But one of the more common is the figurative and sometimes literal strip mining of our own natural resources. And today we're sharing a story from deep in the heart of I-75 country in Manatee County, where environmental policy is apparently now being dictated by politically connected real estate developers. What a shock. Here to, sh- uh, here to talk us through it is veteran reporter Craig Pittman, whose name you probably recognize from countless bylines in the Tampa Bay Times, where he spent three decades covering the state as an award-winning journalist. He's authored six books, which you can find on his site, craigpittman.com. And uh, you can and should follow him on Twitter at Craig Times. His column last week on the Florida Phoenix uh, went into the details of the Manatee County, uh, Manatee County's apparent move to a, a, a real estate agent-led model of, of environmental management. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that. Craig, welcome to Why Are We Like This? Thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I have to tell you, I like the title of your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just gets more. But unfortunately, we never we never quite arrive at the real answer. <laughs> like we, it's, it's, we skirt it's around like philosophy. The questions beget more questions. <laughs> <laughs> so... 
Craig, can you maybe start off by explaining to us um, exactly what's going on in Manatee County and like what uh, what, what they're doing on the county level, level there that um, many environmentalists and folks like yourself who, who cover this issue um, are, are are labeling, a, you know, a, a real threat to uh, to uh, environmental protections up there. What's going on in Manatee County? Well, uh, so Manatee County is is, as with many coastal areas in Florida, undergoing a tremendous amount of development. And one of the big developers there is a guy named Carlos Baruf, who's really politically well-connected. He gives lots of money to politicians who then appoint him to things like the Constitutional Revision Commission, et cetera, uh, Southwest Florida Water Management District, and so forth. And um, he has really chafed at the wetlands protection ordinances in Manatee County. He really doesn't like them. Specifically, he really doesn't like that there's a 50-foot boundary that you're supposed to observe when you develop near a wetland, uh, which, you know, it's, it's kind of common sense that you'd want to, you know, keep that much distance between you and these things that are important for recharging our aquifer, uh, providing flood protection, providing uh, habitat for some important species, uh, and helping to soak up carbon from the atmosphere. Um, and he's actually sued the county twice over these things and lost both times. And, um, uh, and so... Now, the number of people on the county commission who are working in development-related businesses has become a majority, and they have moved to strip those wetland protections from, from the county ordinances. And the, they, they didn't get any reporting from the county staff about how to do this or what to do, and they didn't go to a wetlands expert on how to do it or what to do. Instead, they hired the guy that Carlos Baruf used in his lawsuits as his expert, as this the person to advise, correct? Yes, yes. Dan DeLisi from from West Palm Beach is the guy they hired for twenty five thousand dollars to come in and tell them, "Oh, you can get rid of your wetlands protections. The state's got you covered. The state has wetlands protections. Of course, the state protections are nowhere near as as big as the ones from Manatee County. There's like a fifteen foot buffer in the state protections. So, uh, uh, and the chairman of the county commission uh, said, Oh, we're, we're doing this because of property rights. And my observation was, yeah, the people who are crying about property rights never mentioned the rights of the people who live nearby these wetlands and wind up getting their property, getting inundated when the wetlands are paved over. Um, so just to paint a picture, they, a guy who went Oh, and two in court might very yes. well go one and Oh with the Manatee <laughs> County commission. Brilliant. Yeah. And so I, I called him up and I said, how did you, cause it's, it's not clear from, from documentation how he wound up being the county's expert. Uh, and so, and I actually interviewed one of the county commissioners, the, the lone no vote, it was a six to one vote, who is also a real estate guy, but he at least understands the importance of wetlands. And I, so I called up Dan DeLisi and I said, who, who gave the approval to hire you? I can't talk about that. I'm not authorized to talk about <laughs> it. He, and I asked him several other questions. That was his answer each time. So uh, I, think I, I think we kind of got the answer who authorized hiring him from that. Um, it was Carlos Baruf, uh, his existing yeah, relationship for years. Yeah. 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 It's and and the, I mean, there were uh, everybody in the audience who showed up was against this. Every single voter who, who got up to speak was against this. The only person speaking in favor of it at the hearing was Dan DeLisi, the guy who was paid by one of the developers. There were other builders and contractors in the audience None of them got up and spoke. They all knew Crickets, that this was, yeah. yeah, yeah, they all knew this was a bad idea, but they weren't going to stop it either. 
So why not? Can I ask why? Why were they silent? Because that was something that stood out in your article. No one wanted to talk. Why did no one want to talk? Well, they could see how unpopular it was, and they don't want to have that reputation of being, you know, I'm I'm part of the you know part of the anti-environment crowd. I mean, the environment mm-hmm. is something people in Florida like these days. Every time the environment is on on a ballot, it winds up with way more votes than any, any politician ever does. Mm-hmm. But the politicians don't seem to get that. Can, can you um, help us understand to the extent that the general population in Manatee County and, and the surrounding area, Bradenton and, and so on, to the extent that they absorb these issues and, you know, like respond at the ballot box, for example, like you were just saying, um, like, wh- what is the what is the attitude when something that appears and feels so unilateral, anti-democratic against the public will? Is there any like measurable sentiment? Do people are people because like in Miami, I try to think it happens here, and a lot of times it's like pouring water over a smooth surface. It's like it just doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it it doesn't catch, and people just kind of don't realize that it's going on. Is there a similar sort of out of sight, out of mind, um, you know, element at work with this particular issue in Manatee County? Um, I, I, not just Manatee County, but I think all over the state. The big problem we have is that. 900 new people move here every day and they don't know what they're getting into. They don't know what the history, they don't know what's going on in that area. You don't know the people who uh, have been screwing things up. And often the folks who move in, they don't know anything's wrong. You know, Mm -hmm. to them, it looks great. They don't know the way it looked say five years ago or 10 years ago. They have no frame of reference. And because we're not a state where Neighbors tend to talk to each other because everybody's, you know, oh, look at the new people. There's nobody there to educate them about what's going on. So whenever time comes to make to, you know, to go cast a ballot or something like that, they'll make their decisions based on who's got the best TV ad and, you know, who's who's telling me, oh, well, I'll vote for this guy. He says he's a small business owner. Well, what he's not telling you is he's a small business owner who's in the development business and he's just paved over that lot that's next door to you. And so the next time it rains, all that water's coming on your property, mm-hmm. but yeah. you're not going to find that out from his TV ads. So, <laughs> uh, you know, that's, uh, it's, uh, I encourage people, you know, seek out the new folks in your neighborhood, tell them what's going on, make sure they're educated. The folks who, who understand that wetlands are important and that need, they need protection. They showed up for this hearing. There were like a hundred or so. Of them. They, that wasn't enough to tip the scales, unfortunately. You said there's going to be a vote at the end of October, a final uh, county yeah, commission. Yeah, the, the way the way this is set up is this is a change to their comprehensive plan, and uh, under what's left of the pieces of the 1985 Growth Management Act, which Rick Scott did his best to repeal and tear apart, um, the comp plan any comp plan changes have to go to the state for approval. Uh, the state, uh, I think it's now the Department of Commerce never turns down anything and they'll, they'll send it back with, you know, a rubber stamp. Yes. And then it's up to the commissioners to take a final vote on it. And so the hope is that sometime between now and then enough people can contact those commissioners and tell them, are you crazy? <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> convince there, them to change their vote. But uh, at this point, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. I was about to say if, if the commission, I mean, I feel like the commission sent a signal by hiring Dan DeLisi in the first place, yeah. um, you know, letting, letting them know this is the guy who we're going to be leaning on. I guess what, what would it take? I guess if it's, is it really just, you know, mass public pressure from constituents on the, That's the only commission, or, that, or even, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's it. I mean, you know, un- unless somebody gets to Carlos Baruf and convinces him, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. and then he tells them. <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about Carlos Baruf because um, Gerald, uh, before you got on, Craig, we were talking a little bit, and he reminded me of where I recognize his name from. And now this this is a guy that that Craig has been uh, covering for more than a decade, as you point out in the article. You have bylines, uh, you know, talking about his activity and his aspirations to you know develop every square inch of florida you know going back years um but jer where do we know baruf from what 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 do we most remember him from he ran for senate in 2016 Mm -hmm. when rubio was going to uh, vacate the premises to run for president and then unvacated them he was the (laughs) last man standing in the uh in the rubio primary um back in 2016 i don't know if folks remember that 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 marco had all but resigned and and you know he had said like no there's no way i'm not running again i'm not doing this yeah sometimes uh, you unresign it happens (laughs) so baruf i do remember was one of the louder voices uh lamenting that uh, along with our own now governor governor desantis who had also taken a run at that Senate seat at that time. A quote that uh, that that you, Craig, have about Baruf, uh, as you recollect times interacting with him, uh, from your article. Once he came, quote, once he came up with an elaborate scheme to chop down 40 acres of mangroves adjacent to one of his developments, it was to be done in the name of environmental restoration, believe it or not. When I, Craig, asked him why he'd even attempted such a thing, he, Carlos Baruf, replied, quote, for the obvious reason, the view. So this is the kind of guy, <laughs> this is the kind of guy that we're dealing with that is like basically all but captured. Um, the, it's, it seems like the, the 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 commission on this issue, and I can't help but notice these like rhymes and these similarities between the way that this always happens. It feels like in every corner of Florida we have our own Carlos Baruf. and doing their bidding in every governing body. It seems like we have somebody like Manatee County Commissioner uh, Chairman Kevin Van Ostenbridge, as you note in your column. He is also a real estate agent himself, and he has been for more than 20 years. And this is a trend. What is it about being a realtor that seems to provide or prepare people to be public servants in Florida? I, I, it, there's like a real link here. Like Before you jump in, I, as I was diving in on Baruf, I was like, oh, my God, like a real estate developer who keeps haunting local boards and running for statewide office. I was like, if this isn't Carl Palladino, I don't know who it is. Like there are so many Baruf's all all across there, the United States. Yeah, yeah I mean, they, they've got the money. They've got some time. You know, they're they're running their own business. So. Why not? And uh, it speaks to their ego, of course. Plus, of course, you know, they've spent so much time giving money to other politicians. Why not keep it and run run themselves? It cuts out the middleman. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what should people know uh, for those of us who don't follow the, you know, internists and, you know, back and forth in the Manatee County Commission? What should we know about, um, again, like who appears to be the trigger man on behalf of Baruch, uh, Kevin Van Austinbridge and um, his role, apart from just being, I guess, a cheerleader for for this just you know, this disassembly of, 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 of regulation, like what was his role in this? Well, he was the, he was the chairman of the commission. He was not the person who made the motion, but he's right. the person who, who seconded it. And then was the only person that really said, here's why we're doing it. And, mm. uh, uh, his reasoning of, you know, well, this is for, for property rights. It's like, yeah, but okay. I have, I have a right to free speech, but my right to free speech has limits on it. Yeah. Are there rights are there rights for your property rights that are also limited? Should they not be limited for the benefit of the whole community? I think so. Um, yeah. And and, uh, you know, th- there are good reasons 
for protecting wetlands and wetlands are under an intensifying assault these days. Uh, You saw the Supreme Court ruling that forced the EPA to cut protections for half of the wetlands in America this week. So, uh, you know, and so this is, this is the kind of thing we're dealing with now. Yeah. As, as, as we look at the formula for how these sort of like local or municipal regulations are undone, especially around Florida, it's, I was talking before about these, you know, similar dynamics, how we, every, every county or every, every, every municipality has their own Carlos Baruth, that they have their own commissioners like Austin, Ben Austin bridge. Additionally, I've noticed um, every Metro area seems to have its own sort of chamber of commerce clone that's dedicated to development. And you were talking about who actually introduced or drafted this, this, this deregulation, and and it was the Manatee Sarasota Building Industrial Industry yep. Association. Talk yep. a little bit about them, what their role is, and I know that you cover the whole state, so I'm sure you've run into these sort of pro build, pro development um, little chambers everywhere. It seems like they're popping up, and, and every county has something like this, right? Well, uh, specifically, I, I want to give rather than me taking credit, I want to give credit to a publication called the Bradenton Times, which is run by a former county commissioner named Joe McClash. And they've been doing a, a tremendous effort at digging out where this came from, who's behind it, what are the ramifications. And they're the ones who actually first established that the proposal came from the Builders Association and not from inside the county, that, which is the way it was originally pitched is, oh, this is a this is a change that we're just, you know, cleaning up our comp plan. And it turns out, no, this actually came from the Builders Association. This was their proposal. Um, and so it's good that there are these feisty little publications like that around the state that are fighting back and they're telling people what's really going on. And I hope more people yeah. pay attention to them. As far as the builders association, you know, that there's been a very concerted effort all around the state by builders groups, by the realist realtors to have a lot more political influence on what's going on in the state to basically say, we've been enjoying a tremendous ride with our uh, development boom in the last few years, we want it to continue and we don't want anything holding us back. And so uh, one thing I've been chronicling is how uh, pro-development members of the legislature, many of whom are members of the development community who have successfully won office, have been working to knock down any way for citizens to object to any development. Mm. And so they've been pulling, you know, pulling out uh, the law that said that uh, you know, if you if you challenge a comp plan change and lose, you don't you're not responsible for the legal bills of the people on the other side. Well, now you are, and so that's going to discourage a lot of people from challenging any comp plan change that's going to aid in development. Um, and just there have been lots of other aspects like that where they're doing everything they can to to say we don't want anybody getting in the way of our 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 bulldozers. You know. There's, you can't stop us. We're, we're in charge. We're running the government and you people that don't like it too bad. It it really feels like that, um, that rapid population growth that we all know about. That is like a story that every, you, you, you spoke about a moment ago, um, a few moments ago, It, it feels like that's been the fuel for this. Like, it feels like that, um, the fact that so many people are moving here and that they are coming with money 
uh, a lot of them. Um, it, it, are, are we correct in, in, in assessing that at least part of that is responsible for the, the move to like less, like more unchecked growth like this? Is, 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 is that in your estimation, like one of the culprits? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and the, the, the folks who are, who are running things and many of whom are members of the development industry who have succeeded in getting themselves elected are, uh, the ones who are, who are basically saying, you know, we've, we've got growth going on and we don't want it to stop. And, and one of the, uh, some of the places that are real losers in this are the rural spots in the state where people have been living there for years. They like it rural. They like it quiet. It's not going to stay that way because, you know, Lakewood Ranch, Pat Neal, those folks are moving in uh, and, uh, and they're going to start building right next door to these quiet rural places. Um, and folks in Levy County uh, who uh, were outraged that, the, you know, we had these three toll roads that the governor was backing. And um, fortunately, one of the uh, one of the one piece of the fallout from the pandemic was there wasn't the money to build the three toll roads anymore. So they, they repealed two of them, but one of them was still going on and it was going to go through Levy County and people in Levy County were outraged because they said, we don't, we don't want this new road bringing new growth to our quiet rural community. And uh, the DOT's attitude and the attitude of the, the builders who were backing it was too bad. You're not going to stop it. Fortunately, it has now been taken off the table, at least temporarily, but um, you know, every, I would say every quiet spot in Florida has a target painted on it. And, uh, if you live in those, one of those places, you need to be watching the news because they're coming for you. I wanted to touch on that. Not just, uh, like you alluded to in the beginning with the aquifers and the, and, you know, uh, the, uh, carbon absorption, um, not just the assault on the wetlands, but the assault on the people, um, that I think an agenda like this represents, one of the more nefarious things from your article that I saw was Delisi's recommendation um, that uh, you, we can do away with a regulation that says any any development on the wetlands has to have an overriding uh, public, uh, you know, has to be in the overriding interest and, and uh, of the public, it has to be in the public's interest to basically say no, we we don't have to do that actually. Um, we don't need to guarantee that anything that happens on the land uh, is in the public's interest. Um, I remember I was a kid in the, in the 90s and the 2000s where the growth that you're talking about used to be pitched to the public. That growth was in the public interest. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of that, especially since 2008, has collapsed, where now they, they can no longer go to the people and say, uh, we're going to do something that's in the interest of economic growth. And that, to your point, like with these quiet areas, makes people go, oh, great. Like <laughs> yeah. someone's wallet's going to be growing and I'm pretty sure it won't be mine. So, yeah. you know, what, what, what do they have in mind for people like me? I just wanted to, um, if you could touch on the way that it seems like they have to kind of backdoor this thing that maybe, you know, a few decades ago, they would have been able to champion as say, you know, all these environmentalists want to keep uh, us from developing this land that, that if we were to con do construction on it, there would be all this economic growth, economic activity, and wouldn't it all be so wonderful? I think, like you said, with the quiet areas, people have a general sense that, no, it will not be. It'll be wonderful for a few, but yeah. it probably won't be wonderful for me. I've seen yeah. enough of this to well, know that. And think about it. The, you know, the, the developers, they come in, they you know pull out the trees, they screw up the wetlands, and they put down lots of pavement, and then they move on. So right. when 
flooding happens, when the when sinkholes happen uh, because of poor construction, when you know when, when a hurricane comes along and floods the area because there are no longer any wetlands to soak up the flood waters, they're not there to to help out. The developers have moved on to some other area to screw that one up, and the folks who live there are the ones who are having to deal with what happened and. A lot of t- thanks to the legislature, they have been prevented from charging the the size impact fees they might need to cope with those things. So there's there's no way to pay for the expanded sewers, the expanded roads, etc. That would accommodate the new growth. And yet, on the other hand, the, you know, so the, your other option is well, the local government has to levy new taxes. But how many local governments do you know of that would vote for new taxes? Yeah, no. And and so they're kind of trapped. And so we're 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 allowing these these fly by night operations to come in and change things. And then uh, it just it's it screws up the landscape and screws up the the fate of the population. I, I, one of the best examples I can mention is um, Fort Myers Beach uh, as as. Uh, in the about a month before Hurricane Ian hit, uh, there was a a case that went before the governor and cabinet on appeal from a, an administrative hearing, where a developer wanted to build a new condo there that would add to the evacuation time to get off the beach, and there was a, a woman who lived there who was objecting to this. The county commissioner had, had approved it. This woman was objecting, saying it's going to it's going to be so bad for the evacuation times that we can't approve this. And a judge agreed with her. And and so they get before the governor and cabinet and the attorney for the county says, well, yeah, our evacuation time is already over the limit. The the state mandated evacuation time is 16 hours in case of a category four or five storm. Our evacuation time is 96 hours. But she said, but, and this was, this was her, this was her point. We're not alone. There are 45 other counties that have similarly bad evacuation times because they've allowed too much development in coastal areas that are vulnerable to hurricanes. Isn't that great? (laughs) And and, we're all going to die together. It'll be. Yeah. And, and, (laughs) and the way you deal with the, the going over the evacuation time rule is, you provide mitigation. Well, the mitigation is you open up more shelters. How do you get the people to the shelters? Oh, wait, that's where the evacuation time comes in. Oops. So the mitigation doesn't really mitigate for having too many people living in vulnerable areas, but that's what we keep doing. We keep allowing people to build in areas they shouldn't build. And the governor and cabinet voted for this thing. And it was, <laughs> you know, and then a month later, the hurricane hits. And so I don't think it's going to get built right now, but it can be. And probably will be once they figure the buyers have forgotten all about the hurricane. Yeah, Gerald, this is like what we talked. We've talked about this before on on the show. This like idea that the political theory in practice in a lot of Florida is like a ratchet, where it like kind of it, it's like it keeps ticking one direction, but there's like like you know up, like it'll never go the other way, right? Right. Because it can only gradually incrementally get worse it can't find its way to click backwards it's like it's a, it's, it's a ratchet mechanism and it's it's, it's infuriating we've, we've we've done we've we've we have had some good things happen in the past and uh the best one is probably the 1985 growth management act where 
all of this stuff was going on that was bad growth was doing bad things all around the state and the governor and legislature said we're going to get a handle on this we're going to we're going to we're going to put a leash on the growth machine and slow it down and so they did and there were flaws in the in the law flaws in the department of community affairs that was set up to oversee the law but it was a vast improvement over the wild west situation we had before that 1985 through 2000, what was it, 2011, I think, when Rick Scott became governor and said, I'm going to repeal the Growth Management Act and I'm going to get rid of the Department of Community Affairs because we need jobs more than we need growth management. And that's what they did. They repealed the law. They got rid of the Department of Growth Management and uh, Department of Community Affairs. And so nobody's watching over those growth management activities anymore. And you can see the result. Highest cost of living of any state, I think, in the country. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, we we greatly lack affordable housing. Our property insurance costs are three times the national average. Car insurance is, you know, well, you you touched on the you touched on the toll roads earlier, and like there yeah. are I've seen I've seen some um, you know side by sides from people that have moved and relocated here who were talking about like oh yeah I was told about how great it is that I'm not paying state income tax, but my state income tax is less than what I spend getting on the dolphin or getting on the on yeah. the palmetto every day to have to commute to work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, this is a state where we finance a lot of really important things through the sale of license plates. You know? <laughs> license plate sales pay for Florida Panther research, Florida manatee research, all kinds of other stuff. It's like that's true. Yeah, yeah. we have a yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why we can't have public transit because if the license plate money runs out, I was going to say LeBron James got a few bucks from the uh, the Miami Her- the Miami Heat uh, specialty license plate. Yeah, I mean, I you know, know, we're we're kind of one step away from do- having a bake sale, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Which honestly, compared to some of the other things that we do, I would almost like I, I would almost endorse be more ethical. I, yeah, <laughs> I really like though that you talk about um, that, that, that what you were just talking about the the the. We do have a tendency to get a little negative on this podcast. It's it's hard not yeah. to, but um, but there is like I was there, reading there are a lot of happy crime scenes. Yeah. <laughs> I was reading your most recent um uh your most recent entry on the Florida Phoenix, and it, it, it was a you know a great story about um it's a fun story. I recommend everyone read it. It's uh, for for those of us who don't remember this, it's how uh, it's a story about how Jacksonville went from being the stinky town to not being stinky town anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a, it's a great article and it actually, I thought has an interesting, although I'm not entirely sold if it's still possible, uh path toward, um, you know, some sort of reforms or fixing these little, you know, petty uh, county level tyrants and people who, who are pushing our, you know, environmental, who are pushing the environmental degradation um, agenda. And it was through journalism. It was through reporting uh, as you outlined in in, in the, um, in the article. Uh, But I like, at the same time, I think about this incredible ProPublica project from a few years ago about Lake Okeechobee, this, all these resources, this great interactive digital thing that they did. And I don't know if it's more just a byproduct of the times or a fractured media, the way that we are now it didn't cut through. It was an incredible yeah. story. Great reporting about the way that the, the sugar industry just levels and, and like just pours toxin, toxic uh, waste down the throats of these poor people that live in the community surrounding, um, you know, Lake mm-hmm. Okeechobee. I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you think that there's still an ability? Do you think the media still has the credibility along with the mm. ability to be able to, affect the change like 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 um you know like that led to the 
the the democratic outpouring that led to um, Jacksonville not stinking anymore. Uh, <laughs> is it too anachronistic for us to expect that out of our media anymore? I, I think that what has changed is, uh, you know, the the. Well, let me say two things. One, one is uh, even with that great TV report on the problem with Jacksonville that ultimately led to changes, it was it was a couple of years before somebody came along who was actually able to make a political change. Uh, and so even back then when, you know, there, there were only there were only three channels on your TV and there weren't any streaming services. Uh, you know, even then this powerhouse TV report called the smell of money that convinced people that the Jacksonville smell wasn't just a bad smell. It was actually hurting people's health and needed to go away. It didn't happen right away. It took a couple of years. But the other thing is, uh, you well, mentioned, by, by the way, what, what, one little quick, uh, detail from your reporting is, I, I, Gerald, you'll love this. One of the, uh, one of the, um, uh, the contemporaneous quotes from the the you know paper mill stink industry was like ah oh, when you get a lot of people together it always stinks and <laughs> like, that was, that was, I just thought that was so funny when I was reading it I was like, <laughs> they were they were grasping at straws they really were <laughs> they were grasping at true straws yeah. but sorry go ahead Craig no that's okay well the other point I was going to make is so in other words don't don't expect to see a report come out in one publication and things immediately happen right the other is I think it's going to take more than one report uh, that ProPublica thing was great there needs to be lots of other i wrote a column of, you're talking about the the burning the cane burning right? yes exactly yes, yeah, see, I, I, I wrote a column about that um the, the other people have written about it palm beach post has covered it it's still going on and and, and we haven't hit that critical mass of, of people being fed up about it because frankly a lot of the people who are suffering are poor people and they don't have mm-hmm. political influence and the m- my proposal in my column was that the State Department of Agriculture should require that the, the reversal so that, you know, right now, if the smoke blows towards the poor people, they keep burning. If the smoke blows towards the rich people in Palm Beach, they have to stop. I suggested swapping that around. So if it burns, <laughs> if the smoke blows towards Palm Beach, keep going. Let them smell it for a while and see how they like it. And uh, strangely, that did not happen, <laughs> even though the, the person in charge of the Department of Agriculture at the time was Nikki Freed, a Democrat. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and it, it, it's, so there needs to be more than one story. There need to be a whole bunch of them. A, a, and they a need drum to have beat a, almost. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, the people get fed up. The, the, the factors I listed for the Jacksonville thing was the people got fed up. There was scientific research showing medical, human medical problems as a result of it. Uh, media, a powerhouse media report on it. And then a political champion arises to, you know, to drive it home. And uh, there hasn't been a political champion arise yet on that issue. And and who you point out in your article paid a price, right? He was only a one term. We're talking about, uh, I'm sorry if I'm Tommy Hazori. Tommy Hazori. Yeah. Tommy Hazori. Seems like kind of like a, like a, the way you described him, like a real, like top line, like retail politician, like, you know, handshaker, baby kisser type guy. And he probably could have had a longer political career, um, but he put a, he put a, he, with the, let's not, let's, let's, let's not have our city stink agenda kind of put a target on his back. Right. And I, I would imagine that people who follow his lead today would have to be ready to accept that target as well. 
Yeah. And, and see, that's the thing is uh, he, he went on to have a long political career, but he only served one term as mayor. They, they made sure that he, and he ran several times afterwards and never got reelected. So he went off and ran for school board. He ran for, he wound up on city council, never got back in charge uh, because he carried out his political promises. And, and he said, we're going to take care of the fat cats and get rid of them. And we're going to get rid of the stink that harms our community. And they did. And even though the people supported him, the fat cats did not. And, uh, uh, you know, as I pointed out in the column, I think Luke Skywalker would tell you the Empire does strike back. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, w- one other element of this that I wanted to get as we try to get the the the, the lay of the land with all of this stuff. I, and it, it's, it's funny because as I was reading your column, I was like, I used the word rhyming earlier in this in this pod, in this podcast, and and that's what it felt like. So many of the characters and dynamics and the, the what you were writing about in Manatee County, uh, they rhyme with other things. Whether it's the you know Nestle in, in Zephyr Hills, whether it's the you know the you know Chris, um, uh, Florida Crystals, whether that we just talked about, um, all of this stuff feels like it is out of the same playbook. And one of the th- elements that I don't think we talk enough about it are is is I don't know how you know how you would disca- describe this but like that sort of squishy pay for play NGO nonprofit world <laughs> and I, I was reading about and I don't know I don't know much about this organization but I did I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole preparing for this episode where I was reading a 2016 Palm Beach Post article because the Palm Beach Post participated they were part of that um that that great uh piece of journalism we talked about mm-hmm. from ProPublica yeah. earlier. It was a, a, a co-pro from, between them and ProPublica. And um, so I went a little further back and I was reading about Palm Beach Post had an article basically saying um, in 2016 uh, that in another report, separate from the one we're talking about much earlier, five years earlier, uh, was too harsh about the, criti- the, the, the sugar industry. It's not the industry's fault. There's a lot of factors at play here. And then I realized that a lot of the people that are, you know, quoted throughout that article, if you're media literate, like a lot of us uh, try to be, uh, you, you look at the sourcing and stuff. It's from something called the One Florida Foundation. Now, I don't know how much, how active One Florida Foundation is anymore, but they really look like an environmental group at first glance until you get into the nuance of their opinions and then into the nuance of their 990 forms where you see that they're funded <laughs> by the sugar industry. They're funded yeah. by Florida Crystals. Yeah, and we're shocked. You, you have to go down. I really, I don't expect people to have this kind of like weird ADHD that, that or like like uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. Just call, your, to... call yourself a civics nerd. Just own it. Own it. <laughs> I guess I'm so. a civics nerd. Uh, I'm a know. civics nerd. Yeah. But that feels like an extra confounding thing that you must run up against in your, in your reporting oh, yeah. to these just dissenting opinions that appear to be credible, but are like coming from bad faith places. Yeah. Well, um, it, there was, uh, and I'm going to put this because um, newspapers and other media outlets these days have shrunk, have had to shrink their staffs and shrink their resources so far that there is a tendency these days to just rewrite press releases. And so you get a press release yep. and you just write it and you don't think about where it comes from and it gets out there. And uh, I should mention, too, that quite a lot of uh, TV stations in Florida now are owned by Sinclair, which is an yep. extremely right wing yeah. uh, company and make sure that nothing critical of Governor DeSantis ever airs on any of their yep. TV stations. And so uh, and so the public will get something. And this is the there's, here's an example. They'll get a story that says, Oh, uh, you know, this person recently gave a speech and they said uh, we need to uh, have energy independence and we need to allow 
offshore drilling close to Florida within three miles. That way, by by keeping it three miles off the shores of Florida, it won't be visible from the beach, and therefore it won't ruin the beach. And then you you go, well, wait, who said that? Oh, it's somebody working for the oil industry who yeah. said that. And and so and and the, uh, the what really caught my eye was the person who was saying this was saying the Deepwater Horizon spill wasn't that bad. There were lots of reports <laughs> that made it look bad, but. But the, those media reports, those were media reports that, you know, that were from New York and they weren't from here in Florida. And it really wasn't that bad in Florida. Listen, buddy, I was there. It was bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we had oil on the beaches of eight Florida counties and uh, it was just disgusting. And the people who had to clean it up, who volunteered to go clean it up, a lot of them now are having health issues as a result. Yeah. And so but that story went out there that, you know, oh, there was a speech and somebody said, oh, you know, the Deepwater Horizon spill wasn't wasn't so bad and we should allow drilling within three miles of, of the Florida beaches. You have to find out what the, who the source is. And the source in that case was not an unbiased <laughs> reporter by any means. It's, it's amazing how much, I mean, like you talked about Sinclair, I would say another one too is that we have a lot here in Florida is um, Cox Media Group. They are owned by Apollo Global Management, which is owned by Leon Black, or which is managed by Leon Black. I mean, like all of these kind of, it's almost doing them a disservice to just simplify them and paint them with the brush of right wing. It's more like just pro corporate agendas. Like they all have these discrete corporate agendas that are almost divorced from politics, like from their perspective, at least they're like, no, 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 the, you know, this is like, it, it's 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 a lot to expect a news consumer i think to 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 have to know all this stuff yeah jared i was thinking of like gerald i was thinking of like uh, owen wilson and royal tenenbaums where it's like where he's like uh what a lot of what everyone knows about the whatever what we all know about um you know the the deep horizon tragedy is that it was bad but maybe it's not like (laughs) all you have to do is just have the 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 veneer the halo of expert or whatever above your (laughs) head and then you get quoted in these pieces fully credulously like with yeah. like with it's it's insane the lack of like uh of of, of disclosure that happens well and so and you know some of this stuff it falls apart when you ask just one question so um, one of the one of the um like uh, who appoint who hired you like, who yeah who hired you, you? <laughs> uh or um we were talking about the toll roads the you know they were talking about that building this one toll road that was going to go from the Suncoast Parkway in Citrus County all the way up to the Georgia line. And so I got curious and said, well, what happens when it gets to Georgia? So I called up the Georgia DOT and I, I said, they're going to build this toll road up to the state line. And they said, they're what? Nobody had told Georgia <laughs> that we were coming. <laughs> they had no idea. We'll there was no coordination it. whatsoever. It's like, <laughs> I guess the pavement just stops when you get to, <laughs> when you get there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because um, in Georgia, they probably have to uh, they have to wait until they can fully approve. Well, this is from CBS News um, just a couple months ago in June uh, th- until they can get, you know, the right stuff to build their freeway out of to be compatible with the Florida freeway. <laughs> and from that, I'll, I'll borrow from this article, Florida governor and uh, presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis signed a bill Thursday that would allow for roads across Florida to be made with radioactive mining waste yeah. that has been linked to cancer. <laughs> So you don't have to have uh, streetlights anymore. The roads just glow yeah. on their own, <laughs> and you get and you get a free X-ray. What a deal! <laughs> it's like I'm just trying to think of like you know how they have um, what do you call it like uh, 
uh, reciprocity, you know, with different, you know, licensing yeah. agencies and stuff. And it's just like, does Georgia and Florida, do we have reciprocity with our toxic waste freeways? <laughs> like we got to make sure that they, they can properly link up. So, yeah. you know, I yeah. know, I know Georgia's going a little bit blue, a little liberal. They might not, they might not vote that in. And, you know, where, where's yeah, the freeway so. going to go then? Well, they don't have any phosphate mines in Georgia, so they are not as, or not as eager to dispose of it that way. <laughs> so, uh, our guest today was Craig Pittman. You can follow him on Twitter at Craig Times, and you can find his work on craigpittman.com and on the Florida uh, Florida Phoenix. Uh, I urge you to follow him and, and go check out the articles we've been reading. And and um, Hector, your politicians, Hector, your local co- county, com- you yeah. know what? All of these congressmen and the Marco Rubios and the the, the Rick Scotts and the and the DeSantis's, they're fully ensconced in little safe spaces of nothing but support. But you know what? Those county commissioners. You can get at those guys. You can find them. They're out there in the world trying to hide, but you can get to them and let them know how you feel. And um, and you should. Get in your uh, car, drive on your radioactive toll road. <laughs> <laughs> through the through plumes of, of sugar yes. smoke. And yeah, exactly. Craig, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks. <laughs>